Hello and welcome everybody. My name is Meredith Beeson. I'm the Director of State Affairs at the Global Business Alliance. Uh, thank you for tuning in to this episode of State Snapshots. We are excited to have Richard Tabato, who is a lobbyist in Maryland, provide some special insights and updates on the General Assembly this year. So I'd like to turn it over to Richard just to say hello and introduce yourself. And uh, yeah, welcome, Richard. Thank you. Thank you, Meredith, for having me. Uh, pleasure to be here and participate in this podcast. Uh, for those listening, my name is Richard Tabato. I am a lobbyist in Maryland. Uh, I've been um, lobbying for the past four and a half years. Prior to that, I was a senior advisor to Lieutenant Governor Rutherford. And prior to that, I was the uh, Deputy Counsel for Legislative Affairs for the Office of the Attorney General under Attorney General Doug Gansler. And then prior to that, I was in private practice, so. Great, well, welcome Richard. We are excited to have you. And so for the first question, let's talk a little bit about the General Assembly. You know, they completed their regular session back in April um, with over two, 200 bills considered, what were some of the highlights this year of the Maryland General Assembly session? Sure, uh, uh, several big topics this year. Obviously, I presume for many of the states around the country, how are we gonna respond to COVID, you know? And from a myriad of angles, you, you have issues as it relates to vaccine distribution and healthcare, telehealth, you had issues related to housing in, in the area of evictions and foreclosures, uh, labor employment issues in terms of unemployment benefits and so on. So that, that subject area was huge. Um, but also you had um, uh, the outgrowth of the tragedy of uh, George Floyd in terms of police reform, or at least taking a look at what we're doing in Maryland so that we don't have um, a similar episode here. Um, sports gaming was big. Um, I think in 2018, the Supreme Court uh, allowed states to uh, implement and regulate sports betting, and Maryland uh, has been a little bit late uh, compared to our surrounding states, so that was a big topic. Um, and then the biggest topic of all um, that many of these kind of fit under was our state budget. You know, how are we dealing with potentially declining revenue because of the pandemic, but also meet our obligations to public education, um, to our workforce who are now in this kind of um, difficult position uh, and can't work, not because of their own doing, but because of this virus. So, um, you know, the the sent, I mean, the General Assembly responded obviously to, to these challenges. One of the more high profile bills this year was the Relief Act which was an acronym for recovery for the economy, livelihoods, industries, entrepreneurs, and families. Um, that bill provided a little over a billion dollars in tax relief and economic stimulus, uh, grants for small business, uh, direct relief for Marylanders. Uh, it, um, they passed bills that uh, exempted income tax on unemployment benefits, all sorts of things to, to keep people afloat during this uh, period. And that was done as an emergency bill, meaning that it, it went into effect immediately upon passage and signature of the governor. Um, another pandemic related bill, uh, which was very, you know, it's very important uh, what the bill sought to do. It was a bill dealing with how do we protect our essential workers, right? And, you know, these 
people are out on the front front lines, but are we making sure that they have adequate PPE? Are we ensuring that if they do get sick, they have access to health care or access to paid sick leave um, and and ways to kind of protect those people? Now, initially, that bill came out and it had what some in the business community might generally view as very onerous provisions, uh, things like hazard pay. And hazard pay makes sense for um, healthcare workers that may be exposed, but would hazard pay make sense for a person that can work over Zoom, you know, uh, during the during the crisis? So a lot of those provisions had to be worked out. And ultimately, a bill was passed that was uh, palatable for all sides. Um, there were other things to boost our economy. So in, uh, in 2020, for example, there were a lot of bills that sought to raise revenue by closing out tax credits, uh, imposing new taxes, um, whereas this year, some of those uh, bills uh, dealing with tax credits that were potentially on the chopping block in 2020, now we saw bills this year that expand, expanded their reach and their existence. So that was um, a welcome sign. And then um, there was uh, a huge education bill obviously preparing for our next generation, make sure we have competitive schools and a competitive workforce for years ahead. Um, the, it was a, um, the bill was vetoed by Governor Hogan in 2020. It was, it cost about $4 billion, that, that education package. So there was concerns as to whether we could even afford it as a state. Nevertheless, that bill was, um, uh, the governor's veto was overridden and so that bill passed as well. So those are a, a little, bit of the the high profile bills of this year. Yeah, that is a wonderful overview, especially starting with, you know, what we saw similar in most states, which is a focus uh, rightfully on the pandemic and recovery and response. But do appreciate you flagging some of the employee employment standard issues that came up, um, as well as uh, some of the key tax credit and business issues. So uh, really good overview. Let's dig into a little bit more. Uh, you sort of referenced it near the end of your comments, but you know, obviously there's been an influx in federal stimulus dollars. Um, how is the state working on appropriating these funds? I know the first sort of round came through recently, uh, but interested to hear any context and color on um, federal appropriation. Sure, sure. So uh, under the Federal American Rescue Plan, Maryland received $6.4 billion um and it was divided between the state and our counties four billion uh went to the state 2.3 uh uh goes to county and municipal governments um the priorities uh between the governor and uh the leadership in the house and senate on the state side was to at least apportion uh, a billion dollars towards state uh unemployment to the state's unemployment trust. Obviously, you know, there's been, um, there was um, heavy usage of uh, the funds um, in that area. And as a, as a result, um, just to kind of piggyback on what I was saying earlier, one of the other uh, pieces of legislation that passed this year was a bill that prevented an increase in fees on employers to replenish the unemployment trust fund. Um, so, as a result, or maybe not as a result, but in addition, 
um, with the fem federal dollars, that's that's where at least a billion dollars went toward. Um, there was another $800 million that the state will use towards pandemic relief, which is kind of broad. Um, another $600 million for safe school reopenings. Uh, Maryland, um, I think I've, I've read some uh, national news coverage that Maryland um, had some of the more restrictive um, school policies. Our schools really didn't open up until March of this year in terms of our public schools. Um, but, you know, at least they now have about $600 million um, to have a safe reopening, uh, certainly for ne the next school year. Um, there was some money for transit improvements, broadway uh, broadband expansion, job training, um, et cetera. On the local level, there was broad discretion. There was $2.3 billion for the counties and the municipal uh, governments, and, and they have pretty much broad discre uh, discretion. We have 24 jurisdictions in the state. Uh, we have several hundred municipalities. Our largest municipality is Baltimore City, which also received the largest amount of money at $670 million. So it to be seen how the counties and the municipal governments will spend that money. But yeah. Really helpful overview, and I know a lot of states are busy appropriating funds and will likely be possibly even coming back later this year or early next year to do another round. And obviously our companies are interested in many ways just with about, um, you know, helping procure any goods or services that the state might be looking to um, work on. So helpful uh, and definitely can follow up with Richard and I'm happy to connect members uh, directly with Richard, who might have questions about what Maryland's been up to. But I would love to spend a little bit of time talking about taxes. It's one of my favorite topics, and GBA obviously focuses on tax issues that are discriminatory against foreign-owned companies. Um, Richard, you were very helpful earlier, actually in 2020, um, and even at the beginnings of 2021 when we were seeing some combined reporting proposals that lacked a strong water's edge designation. So thankfully those proposals did not advance this year. Um, while not a GBA issue, I do know that there are some hot topics that were being discussed in the state tax space specific to digital advertising. So um, anything you want to share on that issue this year? I, I know the veto override was fairly high profile for the state. So um, any additional information on the digital advertising issue? Sure. So, I mean, that was a, a huge issue last year when it passed. It, it passed in a very unusual form uh, in the sense that it was attached to a tobacco bill. Um, you don't often see um, um, those sorts of things in Maryland, but nevertheless, it was controversial. It was designed, generally speaking, to help fund our education obligations. As I mentioned earlier, you know, we have, uh, uh, as a state, decided to implement about $4 billion worth of reforms to our state um, education system, and it needs to find funding from somewhere. Um, so there was this view that, you know, not to cherry pick uh, specific companies, but companies like Google, companies like Facebook, large digital advertisers, I mean, large, company, uh, co large companies that receive significant revenue from digital advertising might be a source of revenue to help us meet these obligations. And so that bill passed last year, vetoed by the governor. As you mentioned, it was, the veto was overridden uh, fairly easily uh, in Maryland. Maryland is overwhelmingly a democratic state in the House and Senate. 
Um, so if they need to marshal the votes to override a veto, they can do so. So um, they did that. They did also pass another bill uh, to clarify around that bill, you know, to say, hey, you know, th even though we're going to tax uh, digital advertising, you know, we're going to exempt a broadcast entity or a news media entity. Uh, we're going to make sure that people or organizations don't pass on this tax directly to the customer. We're going to make sure that, you know, online college, uh, college courses or uh, events held by nonprofit organizations are not taxed. So they did tweak it a little bit to make sure that, you know, to make sure that it wasn't over-inclusive um, and didn't hurt uh, uh, groups of populations that they didn't want to see targeted by this new tax. Um, so, yeah, but I think my understanding now is that it's in the courts, essentially, that uh, it, uh, some of the larger... Uh, companies that would be impacted by this uh, legislation have um, have brought it to to um, to the judicial system for review. Great, Richard. Thank you for that overview. Again, not a GBA priority, but we do bring some of these emerging tax trend topics to our biweekly state tax working group. So if GBA members are interested in getting involved, we mostly focus on inbound specific priorities, but of course, keep an eye on the broader landscape, especially new and emerging uh, tr tax trends that might be impacting businesses. So shifting gears a little bit, I you know would love just to know in general what was lobbying like in the state house this year. Obviously, a continuation of uh, virtual meetings, and then maybe a, a quick tack on question about what you expect next year. Do you think folks will be back at the general assembly in person and lobbying? Um, so over to you, Richard. Sure, sure. So this was a very very bizarre uh, year in lobbying. Um, obviously, it was uh, the first time we've had a full session done virtually. Uh, last year, um, you know, when the pandemic first hit, we also made history by just having an abruptly uh, short session. I think we only made it 73 days out of what was supposed to be 90 days uh, of session. Um, so it was very, very, very bizarre, and you had to get used to it. There was questions about whether the technology be, would be reliable in terms of testifying uh, orally or just submitting written testimony or your ability to interact uh, and, and uh, with legislators and express concerns or priorities of, of the clients you may represent. Um, you know, so much of lobbying and representing your association or your client or representing yourself is having that exchange with people in the hallways, you know, um, not necessarily at the witness table, but you didn't have that. So that, that was unique and different. You didn't have the receptions um, that you would have, you know, the early breakfast receptions, the late evening receptions, where you kind of mix it up with your colleagues and legislators. But that being said, um, they did a great job uh, under the circumstances. And I'm telling you, you know, there were a lot of people um, legislators included, I believe, that were concerned about how this session would go and whether we would pull it off, and we did. Um, there were some restrictions on testimony um, that, you know, for the sake of time, you know, that were imposed for the sake of time so that uh, the General Assembly can get through all its business in a timely way that they would not have ordinarily done. 
But that being said, uh, you know, kudos to the IT staff um, within the General Assembly, to the presiding officers themselves uh, for, you know, putting in place guidelines that uh, to the extent possible made, uh, you know, allowed everyone to express themselves, express their opinions, but allowed them to uh, do the work that they needed to do in, in an online format. Um, for myself, you know, it does demonstrate the value of your relationships as a lobbyist. You know, it's very, very easy for someone to ignore your email or your text message. And, you know, you can really see the value, your value as a lobbyist or your value as um, a government affairs um, specialist when even in that environment you are getting the engagement that you need on behalf of your association or on behalf of your client. Now, that being said, you know, all of the General Assembly has had access and those have, that have chosen uh, are vaccinated. Um, um, the state is doing very well in terms of vaccinations. I think uh, we're in the high 60s in terms of those eligible for vaccination to have been vaccinated. So I fully anticipate that by July, I mean, January of next year, we will have uh, an open general assembly legislative session. Great. Well, I know many states were going through the same IT, you know, pivoting and really looking at how to do state government different. So uh, appreciate the insights on how this year went as well as outlook on next year. Uh, it was really uh, enjoyable running into you at the Volvo groundbreaking. Uh, that's where Richard and I connected and initially had to ask him about doing this GBA state snapshots. Um, and this was at a new propulsion lab of Volvos in Hagerstown, Maryland. So just wanted to ask a little bit about what your favorite part of the event was. Uh, and again, great to see you there, Richard. Sure, sure. It was great seeing you as well and catching up. Um, my favorite part of the event um, is to, to get legislators hands-on. Uh, that's such an important part of the story. It's so important when it comes to advocacy. You know, you can testify all you want, you can write letters, but when legislators have that kind of physical connection and they can see, they can touch, they can feel, and in this case, they can ride in a truck uh, whose technology is being developed here in Maryland, it gives them a greater appreciation for the company, a greater appreciation for their uh, policy concerns. Um, and they are able to make connections in their minds about how different legislative proposals may impact that business better than I ever could uh, when they've seen it themselves and they talk to the employees and they've seen um, you know, the, the, the facility. So I always love I love that the clients get a I mean the, not the clients the legislators get a kick out of it because they get to drive around in a semi truck you know many of them have never had that experience and they they put it all over their Twitter and Facebook so you know it's a fun time. Yes, thank you. It was uh, it was one of my first in person events uh, in a long time so uh, wonderful to see elected officials engage with a GBA member company. Um, and I want to I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about redistricting. Now, this is something that companies might not be thinking a lot about, but we know state elected officials and pretty much every elected official at 
um, federal and state levels are sort of looking at these numbers and redistricting and how the maps will be drawn. But any insights and in how is maybe Maryland approaching redistricting? Uh, Maryland, um, uh, uh, as of late, is now uh, taking two simultaneous parallel approaches. So uh, let me start out with the first approach, which we all kind of saw coming, which was Governor cre uh, uh, Hogan uh, creating a commission. He titled it the Maryland Citizens Redistricting Commission, which uh, consists of three Republicans, three Democrats, and three uh, non-affiliated members with the task of drawing congressional and state legislative districts uh, for uh, future consideration by the General Assembly. And in their process, they would have or are having uh, public hearings, uh, public regional hearings around the state, uh, hearing the input of constituents and their concerns or how they would like to see their districts drawn. Um, you know, we have districts that are you know, shaped very um, strangely. <laughs> um, uh, you have people that are on the eastern shore of Maryland have the same congressmen as people that are in southern Maryland. Um, you know, so those sorts of concerns uh, will are, are likely being expressed by uh, the citizenry in terms of how they believe they should be represented uh, both in Congress uh, as well as uh, in Annapolis. Now, you know, that's underway. Uh, the, the, the regional hearing started in June and they're carrying forward uh, for the next several weeks. Last week, uh, the Senate president and the Speaker of the House announced their own independent commission. And they titled theirs the Legislative Redistricting Advisory Commission. Uh, it is being led by um, a former Department of Legislative Services head. Um, Department of Legislative Services is uh, kind of the um, administrative department of the General Assembly. They do a lot of bill drafting. They do a lot of nonpartisan, objective, non-biased research. He's um, the chair and the other members of this commission would be four Democrats and two Republicans. Um, and they themselves will have 10 in-person town hall style meetings across the state to hear the perspectives of the citizens. And the idea or the reason, uh, at least expressed in the media, why we now have this second commission is that the legislature just felt that they had, should have um, a legislative vehicle uh, for this conversation. Obviously, uh, the governor or governorships aren't particularly impacted by redistricting, but certainly the legislative branch of both the, the state and uh, the federal government are. Uh, so it does make a lot of sense from that perspective why they would uh, similarly have uh, uh, their own process. Now, a lot of that is going to be impacted by what our census says. You know, my understanding as, is that the U.S. Census Bureau will uh, be releasing data in mid-August, which will influence how our maps are drawn. Uh, in Maryland, we have uh, 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 eight congressmen. Uh, we have 47 legislative districts. Uh, each legislative district is represented by one state senator. However, each legislative, each legislative district is represented by three delegates. Um, so there's a lot of conversation, not only about what are our electric 
legislative or congressional maps going to look like? Now this conversation, should we consider single member districts, uh, you know, in terms of the House of Delegates uh, instead of three member districts, which is what we currently have? And so much is at stake. You know, this legis this redistricting process also filters down to the county level. So Maryland has 24 jurisdictions. Each one of those jurisdictions themselves will be taking a look at their councilmatic districts and see whether they need to be re redrawn. You know, um, uh, so the, the 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 impact of that is potentially a lot of musical chairs with legislators. You know, we even have now legislators who have announced that they're not seeking their term in the House of Delegates anymore or the state Senate because they want to run for county executive or a county council seat or the reverse. We've seen I've seen county council people in various counties saying now, you know, I want to be a candidate for delegates. So. Um, it's going to invite a lot of new people to run. It's going to invite uh, or create an opportunity for a lot of people to, um, you know, resign, uh, you know, and, and, and look for, you know, something else to do. So it's, it's going to be very different. We have our primaries in June uh, of 2022. Um, we are in a state where there are very, very few truly competitive Republican versus Democrat races. So those June primaries really tell you a lot about who's going to uh, be leading those legislative districts in the General Assembly, um, you know, come January 2023. Well, you'll definitely have to keep us posted on the dueling redistricting uh, processes that are currently underway. We might even have to have you on a future GBA call or podcast uh, just to let us know how it all plays out. But really appreciate the insights. Uh, one of the things I like to do on our state snapshots podcast is always end with kind of a fun question, really connecting our uh, uh, people that we interview with GBA members. So is there a good or product or service that you've used in the last month from a member company? Uh, and what is it? Sure, sure. That company would have to be IKEA, which I at this point should just buy as much stock as possible in that company because I am there at least on an every other monthly basis. So the newest product that I bought from uh, <laughs> IKEA is uh, we have a concrete slab type patio at my house, which is kind of drab looking, right? And each year we would get, you know, an outdoor rug, but it would get sun bleached. So by the next summer, it looks terrible. So this year we bought, um, IKEA is selling these, um, patio tiles that you kind of buy a bunch and then piece it together and it, it looks like patio decking basically and you can lay it over concrete and you know it makes it makes my backyard look you know it was only a couple hundred bucks but i would say it makes my backyard look thousands of dollars better uh and it's really nice so i i'm um that's the last product i bought at ikea I am in the process of looking for new office space uh, for the 2022 uh, uh, legislative session. So I am absolutely certain I'm going to be there within the next month or two buying uh, new office furniture and other furnishings. Great. 
Well, good to hear your residential and professional investments, uh, at least for furniture and home goods, is uh, IKEA. So again, Richard Tabatow, a lobbyist in Maryland, thank you so much for joining us today on State Snapshots. And for members listening, stay tuned for more upcoming episodes. But thanks again, Richard, for being here. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. This is a lot of fun. Um, uh, thanks again.